0: This episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing. Recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. I was practicing my Dracula voice in the shower today.
1: And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was practicing like, a Trump voice because that was going to be my intro. Like, <laughs>
0: oh, to do oh no. like,
1: like an interview with Trump, and I don't, uh, I can't. Nobody even do wants it. that, though. I know, well, we're, we're they would want it, it because my impression is so bad. <laughs> But he would be like, you know, we he would like confuse umpire and vampire like that old joke. <laughs> like, vampires are bad, okay? Vampires are bad. They 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 really ruin their sports. Like what the fuck are you talking about, Trump? They ruin they ruin baseball. They're just a bunch they're just bloodsuckers. They're bad, okay? But but no, you're thinking of umpires, Trump. See, this is my bit, right? And no 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 don't like the little little hatch, no. And and um and then he would be like and then it'd be like no Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, listen to me. Listen, no, vampires are they they kill people, they drink their blood. There's very fine people on both sides. There's very fine (laughs) people on both sides. They're they're all good. And that would be like the joke, like (laughs) So why the hell are we talking about vampires today, folks? Um, we're talking about vampires today because this is our first and actually this season, I think, really our multi only multi-episode yep. deep dive into a novel that you have all heard of and a story that you are all familiar with, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and... I, for one, am super, super excited to get into this. When I say it's a deep dive, these these episodes are gonna be probably be longer than 30 minutes each. Yeah. Our normal kind of roundabout length. They're also there's gonna be four episodes, I think we have planned for this.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's
1: what the script says. That is what the script says. And I handed you the script and oh wait, let me staple your script for you. Oh no, please don't. <laughs> no, please don't. Those of
0: you who have never seen jeremy's stapling skills uh it's it's almost as if he staples each paper on a different plane of existence <laughs> i exactly staple each paper on a different plane he, of existence. he hands me something stapled and he goes here you go and <laughs> and i compulsively like the vampire counting grain have he to pull to... <laughs> i have to pull apart his stapled packets. that's how you
1: stop a trevor folks <laughs> it's really bad it really is. Uh, and if you think my, my stapling's bad, you have to see my hole punching. <laughs> <laughs> my, my hole punch is, like, positively psychotic. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason
0: to it. And then what's so funny about a hole punch is that it does all three for you at the same time.
1: Which is why it's so weird that
0: he ends up with,
1: like, double
0: punches <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
1: I'm into some real, like, black magic folks where I can screw up, like, stapling and hole-punching, and it's, it's that's my occult power. Um, I
0: like the idea
1: that that would be, like, useful to someone. <laughs> I, I have taken over the world of anal retentives. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be... Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty good. Um, so I've got and I know I'm going to get some pushback from Trevor on this, but I want to deliver, let me deliver my thesis in whole. Oh, I'm I'm so ready to fight you. <laughs> and, and I, because I really, really believe I have amended it a little bit. So maybe yeah. you won't fight me as much, yeah, but yeah. when you look at novels and you look at their impact on literature, here's my thing. I, when you consider Dracula, well, let's, let's, Backtrack just a second. When you consider Bram Stoker as an author, I don't believe as an author and his impact on authorship and the craft and the profession, I don't think he was super influential. And I don't think his whole body of work was super influential But if you look at Dracula's lasting power, if you look at its impact on horror literature, if you look at its impact on influencing high literature by allowing genre work or being one of the pieces that allows genre work to be considered high literature, and you look at Dracula's influence on pop culture, I think single-handedly it is one of the most important English language literary works ever published that's my thesis and that's what i'm going to be building on over the course of the series that's a much more nuanced thesis than your first thesis was it's the best novel ever (laughs) it's the best novel ever folks
0: yeah it's the only one your first thesis was was like no no book has shaped uh like genre more than dracula right and uh yeah and and i I I dialed it back a bit yeah because i i oh man i had a lot of contentious thought about that yes uh but i no i i think i am inclined to agree like we talked about this a little bit the the idea of like a paradigm shift right And, and so often in the evolution i think of a piece of literature or or of a genre right um paradigm shifts don't happen too too often and when they do they aren't as i think like explosive or as game changing dramatically um you know all at once i think a lot of these game changers kind of come in these paradigm sh- paradigm shifts happen very gradually over a long period of time so take you know vampire fiction <clears throat> as an example like what paradigm shifts have we seen in vampire fiction over the last century since bram stoker published and I don't think that there's very much by way of paradigm shift that we've seen, like post Bram Stoker. I think that there have been minor variations.
1: I think Ann Rice does a, would, would be the next biggest paradigm shift in in vampire because she romanticized and sexualized the vampire in the 70s right but
0: but but even so i you know i push back against a little bit of that because i think that it made it made the sexy vampire more palatable but i think that dracula and part of the allure of dracula right in this bram stoker novel mm -hmm. is still that he's sexy right like that's the
1: subtext that we get of Dracula. There's a lot of sex in the novel without there being actual sex in the novel, which is really, right. really wild.
0: And also speaks to the Victorian values that we'll cover a yeah, little later that right? we're gonna
1: get yeah deep into. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I think as an overview, right? Like one of the things that we have to really grapple with with Bram Stoker's Dracula is just an understanding that from from the standpoint of vampire fiction, right? No singular novel has made as big an impact on how we like encounter vampirism as a genre element than I think Bram Stoker. I think he right. has come in and, and solidified, codified for us what a drac or or what a, a vampire is, mm-hmm. how vampires behave, right? Like he gives us so much.
1: And here, in just a little bit, that's going to be one of our points. We're going to go over the different, like just how varied vampirism was throughout history and throughout um, the different cultures around the world. And for for Bram Stoker to unify all of this into one kind of image is pretty impressive. Um, but to to your point, I mean, I I want to go back and touch on those elements of my thesis. I mean, like yeah, he influenced genres so much, but he also gave us that like like Dracula itself wasn't taught in the halls of academia until I believe I read like 1983 which but, seems
0: crazy to me but also maybe not so crazy
1: well it was it was a popular novel in its day but it wasn't critically regarded and I don't think it was until like the new postmodern kind of sensibilities were coming about yeah. that they really saw the value and the themes and the the high literary aspect of Dracula yeah. and were able to really look and, and appreciate it for its it's, it's yeah. deeper meaning. Yeah, I
0: mean, academia, especially in the 20th century, uh, really did not care for anything that was particularly popular or, or even necessarily all that accessible. And I think they pushed back pretty heavily against, I mean, they've always pushed back very heavily against genre, right? Yeah. Because of of genre's kind of seeming accessibility and and the fact that so often genre is, is written for a mass audience, yep. which is kind of the opposite of what an Academy wants to protect. I mean, you think about the Academy in, in big air quotes, right? Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of the protectors, the, the gatekeepers to what is and what is not high art. And, and it's important that you protect those gates. If you're, you're an academic or something like that, like straining for credibility in an academic field, like you, you kind of have to gatekeep in order to maintain the marketability, you know, of your skills, of your degree or whatever. And that's what we really see through a lot of the 20th century. We could delve in really deep on like how different critical thought developed within the Academy and why we see certain trends occur in the Academy. It doesn't surprise me or it wouldn't surprise me if Dracula really didn't start becoming more popular in academic circles and accepted as, as quote unquote, high literature in the, until the 1980s. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, like the 20th century really pushed back against a lot of genre.
1: Well, and you think they're protecting something, but they're really closing themselves off to, to, you know, broadening their... Their views, their horizons, broadening their their scholarship, that they could um, delve into some of these other and and actually learn how to appreciate these other kind of genres and oh, and I, I think I works so. like Dracula and Edgar Allan Poe, um, his collective works, and some of Nathaniel Hawthorne's more kind yeah. of um, fantastical fiction, and um, even uh, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, oh, all yeah. help to kind of Break those doors open. They were the. Yeah. I they mean, were the, here's a Ghostbusters reference. They were the key masters to the, <laughs> the gatekeepers and the gozer of academia. Yeah, I, I mean, I,
0: I kind of think that
1: um, <laughs> how we're being put on a timer. Now. We're being put on a timer because we go off on our tangents. <laughs> no, I mean,
0: to to your point, I think you know figures like Mary Shelley, for example, are really important, uh, and she, she's been given a lot more credit. I think. Yeah. Uh, because of the role she played in the creation of this science fiction genre, I can
1: uh, totally see us doing a deep dive into. Oh, I'm ready. Uh, Mary would, Shelley's Frankenstein. I would
0: love to do, and and maybe not just Frankenstein, but Mary Shelley as a, a literary figure herself. She well, wrote a lot. Kind like of like what we're doing so. with Dracula now. I mean. yeah.
1: So so let's get into that. Let's talk a little bit. So <clears throat> this episode, we're um, going to kind of set the stage a little bit for Victorian era London, which is where. Dracula takes place, and it's where Bram Stoker grew up. Um, the second episode in our series, we're going to look at Bram Stoker. Uh, I've got a a couple, of, and I'm going to deliver with all of you um, and make sure I've got it on our website. A list of sources that we have that we used for this entire um, series, and there's a lot. There's is, a lot it's, of books. Like it's for Bram quite Stoker, significant. Oh of yeah, reading. for Bram Stoker himself, we've got two different books that we're working off of to give you a, a complete kind of biography of his life. Then after that, we're going to get into um, we're going to get into the historical figure's life as well. We have a really great source from an English translation source from Romania um, that goes really in depth into the life of Vlad Dracula, and we're going to that's Vlad the Third, I believe, um, and we're going to get into that. And then finally, we're going to get into we're going to bring it all together, talking about the novel, talking about themes and craft looking at this novel, um, variation called powers of darkness. This will be all in the fourth episode. Um, and then kind of talk about, uh, the lasting effect Dracula has had on, on culture, um, and literature. Yeah. So this is a really, really intense dive into the story. Yeah. And so, and I do, when I say, I want to do like a a Mary Shelley kind of, um, multi-series or multi-episode series, this is the kind of thing that I envision
0: yeah, well um, we wanted to do at least one of these per season,
1: yeah, at least one per season. And um this season seems to be focused a lot on horror. But as you know, if you've looked at our publishing house, that we're interested in horror, science fiction, um fantasy, mysteries. So we're we're not going to, as we move forward and as we get into like season two, we're not going to we're going to stick. we're going to do some horror still, but we're going to also branch out and cover some other genres. And in fact, yeah. I think, as a precursor to this, Trevor has a fun episode coming up <laughs> that is just going to crack all of it you may,
0: up. It may have, depending on when this airs. And oh yeah, when I think it already airs.
1: Uh, yeah, in our schedule,
0: it's it's somewhere in our. Remember schedule. Remember that
1: we, episode, folks? We record everything just slightly such a weird out of order. Timey, time flippy kind of discussion.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but the star the Star Wars update nineteen ninety five is a definite. It's. It's one of a, what will become a whole series as I read through every book of Star Wars. Um, only him. I'm not doing it. No, I'm not. Doing I don't it. expect you to. There's only so much. Only Trevor. Function. We, only
1: Trevor's going to read this series. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all the big
1: words. All the words. There are all not. The best words. There are not very. They're neither good words nor nor very big There's words. As bad in Star as my Wars. Trump impression.
0: I've got some some. Good lines coming, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, if there's anything you, dear listener, as we head into this Dracula episode, if there's something, some text you would like us to talk about in our season two, as this series is intended to close out our se- season one, mm-hmm. uh, reach out to us, send us tweets, or at uh, at Slatehouse Litbit. Um, Or you can send us some emails at editor at slayhouse.com. Those are some great ways to pitch some ideas for us. Yeah. Jeremy, why don't you tell us about what the historic views of vampires were? And how did Bram Stoker come to kind of codify the vampire into his novel? they, They were bad
1: You don't say. (laughs) The blood-sucking maniacs were bad. bad? So, how, like, so we've got a couple of sources. I'm going to mention the sources here on um, on the podcast, but I'll also put the the source down. So, a lot of our information comes from two books by Montague Summers. And if none of you have heard of Montague Summers before, Montague Summers was an ordained priest or reverend in the Church of England who then switched to Catholicism, although there's no evidence that he was ever ordained as a priest in Catholicism. But he wrote about vampires, witches, werewolves. Um, he wrote about these things as though he actually believes in them. And when I say he believes in, like, witches, he doesn't believe in the Wiccan religion. I mean, he does, I guess, the Wiccan religion. But he's believing in the supernatural creature. When I say he's believing in vampires, I'm not saying he's believing in the, the emo goth kid that goes to raves and, you know— ask permission to like drink a little blood from you he's believing in the supernatural vampire i just have to
0: interject here that emo goth kid asking to drink your blood is a great descriptor of consent (laughs) like what what a you know i that's not how i roll but good on emo goth kid (laughs) for asking for consent
1: What a! that's really I just like that. I you know, I try. I wanna give him I, I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna vilify the emo goth kid vampire. He's a progressive vampire. He's a progressive vampire, you know. Um He lives in Oregon <laughs> Like Portland? Or... <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Portland's full of
1: vampires, don't you know? <laughs> I thought something was up the last time I was there. Actually, I, I, I think I was... mean
0: I, I think I think canonically for for Stephanie Meyer uh, in the Twilight se- series oh, or whatever. God, that garbage. Yeah, Do we have to talk about that. Uh, just maybe a line or two. Okay, that was it. Thanks, I, folks. <laughs> I <laughs> I actually did read the first Twilight book because I was trying to hook up with a girl, and it worked. It actually did. (laughs) <laughs> and then I tried reading the sequel and I was like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta dump this girl.
1: I couldn't even do the books, man. I watched the movie and I'm like, the minute they start sparkling in sunlight, I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. No, but I, th- I think they're set in like Washington or... or uh, yeah, yeah, they're I, in the I, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in yeah. Washington or, or Oregon or something like that. <sighs> yeah. Oh, sigh. Okay. Um, anyway. But Montague Summers writes these these books. Um. So what we have here is is his book the vampire that's it's spelled if, weird though right no it? it's spelled like vampire oh it's v-a-m-p-i-r-e i lied t-h-e am i the thinking vamp- of, what am i thinking of <laughs> nosferatu probably nosferatu yeah The vampire. well he does have another book called the vampire his kith and kin the real twilight world of the vampire within society and he talks about how he believes like they can turn themselves into dust particles to slip through cracks and they can become these other monsters. But one of the cool things that he does is he kind of catalogs the, um, the history of the vampire from history and from cultures. And so one of the first ideas that I want to bring up is this idea of Lilitu who appears on Mesopotamian and Persian, like, uh, early pottery, like that cuneiform kind of pottery. Um, some scholars connect her to Lilith, but it's the same kind of being. it's this female right. kind of blood sucking being lilith um for those of you who don't know, was an ancient hebrew uh demon, believed to be the first wife of Adam before Eve came along they created um uh created Lilith and Adam, and Lilith did not want to be subservient to adam mm-hmm. and she was a, she was the world's first feminist she was the world's first feminist he's like. There's, he's like missionary style, and she's like, "Nah, bitch, reverse cowgirl." And, he's, he's, and that was what kicked her out of it. And that's what kicked her out of the Garden of Eden. So yeah, then she created. God was really upset like,
0: with that. He's like, "Man, you can't listen." He's like, "Pornhub is at ca- least ten thousand years from now." The Sutra is several thousand years away. Can we wait? Can you just hold on? I barely taught you. You had parts. <laughs> literally like no let's go
1: i'm ready it's like, it's like come on get it yeah yeah adam's um, like man i don't i can't keep up and adam's like, like, i was like he's pushing I, the glasses I, up on his nose like i maybe, not know I maybe, a little too intense for me
0: yeah, i maybe pushed the libido slider a little too far
1: <laughs> when creating her i'm sorry let me go in and, and edit my draft well, there's an alternate version of Lilith that arises from the country of Sumer as a beautiful maiden also called – or also um, a harlot who becomes a bird-footed demon to drink the blood of babies and their mothers. So it's early on – Hardcore. Fucking hardcore. And Stoker plays into this in the book with Lucy going after oh, yeah. after she's turned into a vampire going after kids. I mean – Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, oh, uh,
0: I can't wait to talk about those themes. Oh, remind yeah. me because I'll probably forget by the
1: time we talk about those themes. But I'll remind you. We'll yeah. go back and listen to this episode. It's so freaking good, and, rem- and remind you. Um, I, I Babylonian love that novel. goddess uh, Lamashtu, a Lamashtu. terrifying blood-sucking creature with a lion's head and a donkey's body. I mean, think about this. If if we had these as like vampire images today, like they'd be yeah. so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know though. A lion's head and a donkey's body. Like I don't know. That'd be. Uh no, I think that's still terrifying. It probably I mean yeah, it'd be terrifying to see in real life. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean,
0: imagine now a lion who doesn't just get tired after a little chase. Imagine a lion that like can fucking haul your shit across
1: the west. Did I ask you by the way what color's Kate ha- Kate's hair is? Did I mention that already in this episode? No. What? My my Kate? Your Kate. It uh I mean she's she's a brunette. Brunette with tinges of red, maybe, perhaps. I mean, she thinks she's got a little bit of red, but I'm not entirely convinced. For the purposes of this episode, can we say she has red hair? I mean, she thinks she has red hair. She's a vampire. Oh no. Yeah, that's a sign of, of vampirism. In some cultures, is if you have red hair, that's probably you're that's probably where all of my energy is gone. Yeah, my marriage is good. <laughs> <We>
0: do- <laughs> I almost went. I, kinda, like, to, I, I almost gotta, went. I got <laughs> to
1: sneak in
0: yeah. before I before I describe my wife as like a lion with a donkey's body. Like, you know, like, No, she's good. Hey,
1: I almost like tripped into my own like little little accident there and started talking about you know sucking and it's like I don't need this. No. In the dream. Like, uh, like, hey, thank there's you. There's a time and a place. There's a time and a place, and it's not. It's not this podcast. Yeah, it was the Clive Barker yeah, <laughs> Barker's episode. <laughs> That was the Clive Barker episode. Ancient Greece kind of evolved the vampire a little bit, calling the Impusa, uh, who is the daughter of, and I'm probably mispronouncing these words, folks. Uh, I'm doing the best job I fucking can. No, I th- I think like, That's how I would say it. Impusa, Impusa. Impusa, Impusa. She's the daughter of Hecate, um, transformed into a young woman who seduced men this time and drank their blood. So instead she's of moved of away. Instead of children. Instead of children and their, well, they their didn't, mothers. She, the, yeah, Lamashtu didn't seduce children though she just drank them
0: she just drank them just a, a little baby puree
1: yeah well it was a newborn i don't yeah that's uh, that was tasteless <laughs> well, not to her. i'm gonna have so many tasteless there's, jokes i can't I'm, I'm sorry i mean you gotta have tasteless jokes in a in a, in a think, story about like I mean, vampires and sucking blood
0: babies probably taste like iron though they're probably not tasteless. copper
1: maybe i don't know yeah i don't yeah maybe they're very rich Remind me to look up that that countess, too. I thought you were going to say, remind me to look up how babies taste. like, just
0: just let me get on
1: Google here. The FBI busts down our doors. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then there's the Lamia, right? The Lamia. Uh, Daughter of King Belos and a secret lover of Zeus. Yep. Hera found out about her and killed her offspring. So Lamia swore revenge by preying on young children at night and drinking their blood. Yeah. And then we had the strigis or strix in Roman yeah. mythology. Uh the striga. I think striga. I think that's how it's said. Yeah, because in Romania it's a it's a yeah, it's adaption the st- of the word, and that's the strigoi. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, striga. Uh have bodies of birds, most 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 of the time crows. They fed on both children and adults. What's interesting though is even though the Roman um or even the Romanian adopted the name Strigoi from Striga. They're, that's all they adopted. Like they didn't like take any of the the um, the the other traits of them. Yeah. Also, with Homer's epic, The Odyssey, we see that undead must first drink the blood uh, of living things, either animals or people, before right. they can communicate with. And
0: that's right. You have to make Odysseus. like a, you make a blood sacrifice to the ghosts, and then and then after
1: they they drink of it, they are able to speak. So, ancient India had the Vitalis, which are ghoul-like beings that inhabit corpses. Um, they are seen in early, early Sanskrit folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vital hangs upside uh, upside down in trees and cemeteries, and uh, is an undead creature. Um, pis- they're really trying to make this hard for Pishacha? me to say. Pisacha, Pisacha, sure. Um, I'm screwing this up, but whatever. Pisacha are vampiric creatures that are returned souls of evildoers.
0: I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I don't speak, like, Hindi or Urdu
1: or anything like that. I do, that. So but only of... a little bit. I'm just <laughs> I, don't, I don't, people. I really don't. Don't We're going to get a whole email in Hindi. You know, like, I do think that a lot of—I would
0: like to see a lot, of, a lot more of these mythologies represented in, like, Western
1: literature. That's where—and that's something I want to talk about, like, in maybe the fourth episode. Like, <laughs> vampirism as codified by Bram Stoker into this unified being— has come, I feel like, about as far as it can go. Yeah, I would love to see it move into these older folklore. Like it's these definitely images.
0: a talk about the future of fantasy
1: when we get to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jewish uh, myth um, and Hebrew myth had the aluka, a horse leech with many teeth, and the motetz dam, which was just uh, Jewish or Hebrew for bloodsucker. Not to be con- confused with the Kwisatz Haderach, which is from Dune. Or Mr. Mitsubleta from Superman. <laughs> Mixia Spidlik. <laughs> yeah, I never yeah, could pronounce Mixia his Spidlik. name. He would totally own me if or I ever had to fight him. Backwards, it's kill tipsy him I think. Sure. Yeah. We- I, I only learned that in case a fifth
0: dimensional imp showed up and I had
1: to trick him into saying his own name backwards. I can't even say his name forward, so you're doing much better than I am. Like,
0: <laughs> it's, it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I, I, I can't
1: do that one back. Hum-diddly, hum-diddly, <laughs> um, uses her hair to drain the blood of her victims. And estries, which is a play on that, are female vampires that preyed on Hebrews. Um, only Hebrews. Only so. Hebrews. So they've had a real <laughs> shitty, like, history. Fo- I mean, 3,000 like, years. <laughs> you got the estries. You've got just everyone coming after the Hebrews. you got my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry for all of our Jewish listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we do have a record of offending a certain populace with each episode. It's like we got to hit a quota. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think, actually, I think we're probably hitting a lot of cultures this time because we're mispronouncing like their (laughs) languages. And it's like... Oh, fuck. We, we just are, pissed everybody we off. Are <laughs> overweight white men i am so sorry for our existence. <laughs> uh i'm uh, yeah, um, I don't know if we want to go into every single one of these, but I want to hit like the ones that are most interesting I mean, so when I made that joke about like the red hair, that's actually a thing, or when we talked about like tying knots, that's actually a thing um if somebody was born or if somebody died before they could be baptized, they were believed to become a vampire. If they were accused of sorcery or heresy when they died, they were accused of being a vampire.
0: And I think this speaks to some of the things that we also see from, from a lot of these different cultures. And it, you know, it's, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly what it is that, that creates this kind of mythic trope, right? Like what creates these, monsters. Because these monsters that we just talked about, like, we see these iterations not just in ancient literatures, but we see the same iterations show up in the Middle Ages, almost
1: largely unchanged. Here's how fucked you are in the Middle Ages about becoming a vampire. If a fucking cat jumps on your grave, you're gonna become a vampire. Like, how are you to stop that? Like, Man, you just... (laughs) You would think they've just got vampires fucking everywhere. If you eat meat... From a sheep killed by a wolf. I feel like I'm jumping into like Jeff Foxworthy jokes I, here. It, like, almost, you might be yeah, a vampire. You might if. be a
0: vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the kind of thing that they outlawed in Oklahoma in the 1800s, right? You can fuck
1: your horse, but you can't eat sheep killed by a wolf. I don't think you you you'll could, become a vampire. To be fair, you I think that's still in the law in like some states. To not (laughs) fuck a horse? No, you can't. I hope it is like like bestiality. Yeah, I think I heard that somewhere. Oh no, dude! Look at Arkansas laws. (gasps) No, I think it is.
0: I'm so I can't. No, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I know it's it. It was it's like illegal to go hunting for whales off the coast of Oklahoma. That's a thing. no that's a real thing I just imagined that there was some dude there's some dude like in the middle of a street with a schooner or something and the police are like what the fuck are you doing and he's like I'm hunting whales no that's illegal show me the law tell me where that's illegal Yeah, yeah 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 he got off on a technicality and they're like well fuck I guess we gotta legislate this now no whale hunting in Oklahoma
1: can you hunt vampires on the Sabbath? That's a law. <laughs>
0: no, no. <laughs> they can't even come outside on the Sabbath.
1: We're good. Um, we're covered. Crosses have always morted off vampires. Antidoran, which well, is like a- I feel like blessed, not always. Not all. I mean, Probably, not Mesopotamia. Like, yeah. Mesopotamia, we're like, what the fuck are these? Well, yeah, putting,
0: <laughs> These mean nothing to these, me. You're yet. putting two sticks together. You're 2,000 years
1: too early. <laughs> um baking blood and bread was a way to ward off vampires which seems counterintuitive wait
0: and are you giving people the no you're not you bake the blood into the bread and then you leave the bread outside
1: I think you leave the bread outside okay maybe was, vampires can't have because then they just get blood is that where we get red velvet cake Maybe. I don't... I, that I'm, was, I'm let's just go get some red velvet up. cake. We're going to pause the podcast, folks, so we can go get some red velvet cake. We are overweight um, white men. That's we are. in character for us. <laughs> uh, let's see. Hungary, um, the, the the country, not the state of st- condition. We're still talking about cake? We are... Yeah.
0: Hungary, we've, yeah. We've gone
1: from Greece to Hungary. I've always liked this no, jokes. No, but...
0: I, yeah, keep going. I, um, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Too many jokes. There were... In the Inquisition, during the Inquisition, um, vampires are mentioned all throughout um, Hungary, and they have specific names for them. They have like the Iskakas, which I just totally butchered, but... I mean, it close, sounds close enough to me. I don't know. It just means blood drinker. Yeah, I, I mean, they've had blood drinkers in every area of the world. I mean, Germany, they had the... Oh, God, no. I've got to pronounce German now. Okay. Nox I'm noch, gonna say it with my, my selle, noch noch selle. So you have to put the yeah. accent oh, the, that was the
0: emphatic there's, like, yeah. s- there's some German French friend out there. It's like
1: You also which snacks on ashamed. the Noxerl snacks on family members and then the did, to-
0: What is it about German that causes us to just want to shout it? It's the
1: language. I it. It is the language. We can't control the volume! Um, <laughs> pus drinking boils that uh creatures with pus drinking boils that bring plagues and epidemics. It's terrible. Um, the Icelandic dragur, Romanian uh moroi and strigoi, oh, which dra- we already talked about. Yeah,
0: the Draugur would would be like kind of a almost like a, a ghost zombie,
1: yeah, right? like a ghost. And that's my point though, folks is like all these creatures kind of overlapped. Like, um, yeah, the distinction between like say a werewolf and a vampire is almost like. It's it's almost like just terminology, right? It's almost like it's yeah. like how you're using it in the the sentence or whatever. It's there's not a whole lot of difference between these creatures. Um, these creatures, though, like in Romania, the strigoi and the moroi could be or dead or living. Like the moroi were more like nightmares, like like non-corporeal kind of uh, beings but the strigoi were very corporeal and they could be dead or living you could have a living mm-hmm. vampire
0: i uh, from what i know of this the striga right from uh lore discovered through the witcher games right mm-hmm. like uh i mean the striga i think they sleep in like coffins and stuff
1: oh yeah they do that's yeah. that's part of that coffin myth that that Stoker adopts, right? Um, and then the Romanians also have the precolici. Pri- oh, that just sounded wrong. Precolici. Precolici. Pri- I don't know. Precolici. We're we're Italian now. We're not Romanians. even Roman. <laughs> not even Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> they are humans born with a tail, or <laughs> they also can American. shapeshift like a werewolf. Um, the uh, they can bite their victims over the heart or between the eyes. Romanian vampires, succubus and incubus were even kind of like vampiric.
0: Yeah, yeah well, yeah. They, I mean, they they take different kinds of energy, right? Like, right. This, like the succubus is is really intended to like like trick men, right, to seduce men into sin. Uh, yeah, and and take their libidinal energy. Sometimes I think like to steal their sperm for their demonic offspring.
1: And, he, and and then the incubus is It was just a short lived uh, emo rock band from the early two thousands. Was that yeah. one
0: of their greatest hits? The
1: the <laughs> the little ba-dum-psh. The ba-dum-psh. Yeah, that yeah. was me. Um, that was me, folks. That was I'm also no, the voice I, of Trump like- in our earlier part of the episode you so. don't say that was I you i thought he was really here i did too for a minute and then i remembered it's me speaking yeah no but the, inc- <laughs> the
0: incubus i think was just to show up to make women pregnant right right like a right demon yeah to just yeah the incubus they're kind of pregnant.
1: they're they're flip sides like succubus yeah. were women female right. demons incubus are male demons yeah. yeah um the slavic have their own uh some of the ones that i want to get into though i kind of want to skip a few of these because um they i mean there's a lot of reiteration of the same kinds of ideas right right
0: the idea of like again i think all of these creatures really show up in mythology because they're they're aberrants right like they're aberrations on either law or ethics or or what have you you know i I think for example one of the the reasons why we see so many of these these kids or or, (laughs) kids so many of these monsters who are interested in like eating kids and stuff like that is because they act as kind of the they're dark tasty. the dark mirror image of like what a good mother should be, right? Here, like a good mother shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't uh, abandon her children, but a bad mother would like eat her children, right? So yeah. so they they serve as kind of like these like these dark mirrors of of the. They're so, t- like plays on old fairy tales, too.
1: Like, yeah, which are, I mean, old fairy tales were very moral-driven, like morality-focused. Morality, and I think they instilled, instilled fear in the kids to, to elicit a certain behavior. Like, don't go in the forest or you're going to get killed. And it's well, right, really like there's, the there, there's like a moral to lesson that. to yeah. so many of them.
0: And I think that a lot of these are, are like the dark mirrors that, that allegorically we hopefully learn to be more human, right? Like the exposure to these inhuman monsters should steer us in the direction of becoming more human. That seems to be the trope. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of originates with so many of these different, uh, crazy
1: demon creatures. So one thing I want to do though, is to keep showing our audience the different kinds of vampires that are out there. I want to jump into Spain and then move into other parts, move out of Europe after that, because I think the Spanish vampires, um, mm-hmm because of i would say like the muslim influence would probably get oh, us start moving out of that sure. european model a little bit um so we have uh, the guaxa you can help me with my pronunciation because i believe this uh, will be like
0: i mean i don't i think that's like more like the guaxa. or the guaxa okay
1: uh-huh. uh, which describes uh, it's an old vampire who sticks his single tooth and sucks the blood of his victims um, and the dip is a spanish vampire dog the deep oh sure i mean it's spelled d i p mean, the deep the deep the deep yeah the deep. i'm going to do my arkansas accent. come here dip come, come here, here dip, dip. oh this... i'm going to i vampire thought my other dog, dog was bad cuz he hung my leg this one's sucking my blood um, <laughs> <laughs> so
0: well, i just caught the
1: Oh, that's gross! <laughs> in Africa, the Ashanti people in West Africa tell of the iron-toothed and tree dwelling tree dwelling and the uh, creature. This creature called the Adzi uh, for Atzi. the Yui people um, can take on the form of a firefly, and it hunts children. So That's these are yeah. definitely getting away from like that European image of like the the Bella Lugosi kind of vampire, right. Yeah. Um, with like these weird transformational. Yeah, path. like they're they're totally different. Yeah. Um, uh, Native American people have their own version of the vampire. Um, the like for instance, uh, there's a there's a number in here, but the ones that I I personally, if you if you want to grab a, another one or two. Um, they mention at one point here the loop guru, which is actually a, a werewolf kind of term. It's like a yeah, like a, a, a African um, voodoo kind of from the, like the Haitian um, mix of Cajun and, and all of this um, kind of creole kind of monster. Right. Uh, Mexico has the—and and I'm going to mispronounce this, but okay—the Chorty, which is a hairy, tall, and surprisingly friendly vampire who has claws. And he has a fondness for life and nature. For all life in nature. Um, he's, a, he's the nice vampire. Maybe he's what the Count from Sesame Street is based on. He just doesn't look Mexican to me. <laughs> Why?
0: <laughs> I mean, Why, for one Trevor? thing, he's
1: purple. <laughs> and he's got a widow's peak. Oh, oh, you mean the Count on Sesame Street. I thought yeah. you were talking about the Chorty. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a Chorty before. Have you seen a Longie? <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a bad pun. It is a bad pun. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? Uh, as soon as I heard the word "shorty" and I said it sounds like Shorty. Uh, um, I told that no, thing. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs>
0: I'm waiting for the Star Trek crossover. <laughs> Chorty LaForge.
1: Have you ever seen a wharf? <laughs> Have you ever seen a data? If you haven't seen a Chorty, have you seen a data? <laughs> Ch- I mean, I could do I this. Just, I just <laughs> love Chorty LaForge. He
0: <laughs> sees the engineer, but sometimes he has to go out for a snack.
1: <laughs> All right. Help me with this Aztecian term. How do you think this is pronounced? Uh, probably something like,
0: tail." I don't know. Yeah. I'm, Everyone I'm going get that? On, I'm going on Spanish here.
1: It's a white shriveled creature that lurks in temples and crossroads and preys on children. Crossroads is another
0: uh, very popular uh, kind of mythological trope, right? Like, yeah, like the the area in which two travelers cross. Uh, yeah, a lot you know, of a lot of suspected vampires, of like
1: to keep them from rising, were buried at crossroads.
0: So this is a very true thing. Um, Celtic Celtic lore, of course, had a lot of um, superstition about crossroads. And uh, in Spain, if you go to northern Spain, especially in Galicia. They have a lot of, of uh, like these crosses at every one of the crossroads, and it's because when you know the Romans kind of came in and and established uh, Christianity in Spain, uh, those superstitions don't go away. They they just kind of evolve with the time, and so at all of the crossroads they would put up crosses to you know kind of ward off against those uh, Celtic demons that were so prominent in that that area i think that's true of a lot of these stories right like there's a lot of evolution here and a lot of the mythology gets muddled as new mythologies are introduced oh yeah the evolution of the vampire for example like there's no reason why a vampire realistically should be afraid of a cross right yeah except that uh you know at some point in time or another there's some cross contamination of cultures,
1: but I'm where <laughs> 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 cross Where, I didn't even go for that. He wasn't even trying, folks. I wasn't the, even trying. That's how pun good my puns came, are. Yeah, I have to. I have to like really work for my puns, and Trevor's like, I can get my puns. I just puns. stumble, I just into, stumble them. into them.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, they're, they're like as these cultures clash or as these cultures meet, right? Mm-hmm. The, the old doesn't get
1: thrown out. Do you think there's a bit of like improv
0: too? Oh, like no, a yes abso- absolutely. I, I think there is. Yeah. I feel like what happens very often with a lot of these cultures is they, they come into contact with a new system of belief that is oftentimes incompatible. But rather than just throw out the old stuff, right, you just you, you fold that old stuff into the new stuff and it becomes this new, newly developed mythology and and that's what we see with so many of these different vampires right Mm -hmm. an older idea meets a newer civilization with newer uh uh you know social mores newer laws newer you know religious beliefs and as a result they kind of morph they change they grow into something entirely different
1: like say this this last mexican vampire this how do we pronounce this plasike? plasike which can be seen as either a ball of light or disguises themselves as turkeys it's it's one or the other i mean that's a pretty as pretty we know different. from as we know from Thanksgiving,
0: killing <laughs> these turkeys can do anything yeah oh my god like that I didn't think we could wrap it back around to thinks killing but
1: I you're mean, welcome world you're welcome I think we can mine that that richness of we can mine that well. Yeah, that, yeah, for a long time. I Really wish a they had really mined that time. well. So Asia has their own kind of vampires too, and I'm not just. I mean, again, we're not just oh, yeah, going to recite the, the different vampires. Asian
0: vampires. Are, I think I feel like Asian vampires are actually where we get the rice thing, and not just because rice is so prevalent in Asian culture, but like, no, I I think that was one of the. That was one of their things. One of
1: their, one of their beliefs. One of the,
0: yeah, one of their tropes for, okay. for vampires.
1: I mean, in the Philippines, they have a, a creature, um, and a swan that can take the form of an attractive girl by day and develops wings and a long, hollow, thread-like tongue, like a proboscis at night, to suck fetuses um, off pregnant women. They can they can penetrate the pregnant woman's stomach and suck the energy from the fetus.
0: Yeah, this actually, I think this actually shows up. In, like, Journey to the West,
1: for example, I feel like there are a couple of vampires in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I just watched the season finale of Creep Show. And in the season finale of Creep Show, there's this great little s- a segment about um, this uh, this kind of Cambodian vampire is is really what they go after where um is it the cambodian or did i just mix one no i think it is the cambodian i'm looking at my notes folks and our notes are kind of in in depth i should have done some editing on these things um (laughs) it is not in bullet point point format it really isn't it's like in wild like like it's the wild west over here.
0: It, it's <laughs> it's literally a twelve page essay.
1: It makes my stapling look like <laughs> 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 look like some normal person. Like my note taking is horrible. Um but in, the the ab in Cambodia can detach their heads and it's like their their guts kind of go along with them, so it's like they're just their head and their guts hanging down and they go and they attack people and suck Bro. their blood. And that was um That was really that that was the the focus. Like I didn't even realize that was supposed to be a kind of vampire when I watched that creep show episode, but it's totally what it is. That's totally what they're they're getting it from. And so hardcore. Oh man, and it is so cool to watch on that that episode. It is like pretty it's interesting. If you guys have not watched Creep Show yet, shame on you. Turn off our podcast. (laughs) No, wait, no wait, don't do that. Don't do that. Finish our podcast and then go watch Creep Show. Um The Jingxi, I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. Jiangxi? The Jiangxi. I don't know. Are I'm guessing. like Chinese vampires or um, what Westerners call Chinese vampires. These are the corpses that are re- reanimated due to magical reasons. Um, <clears throat> and uh, in Sri Lanka, they have the belief of the Riri Yaka, which is a blood demon. So, um, oh, and finally, uh, I guess to finish our world tour of vampirism, uh, I want to talk about the yara Ma Yahu. yara Ma Yahoo. Yeah, which is Aborigines um, in Australia. It's a short red man with a disproportionately large head and octopus-like suction cups on his hands and feet. Now, here's what happens, Trevor. You're in the outback, right? I can I can picture myself there right now. You're in the outback. Anywhere to be away from this podcast, like the direction it's gone, right?
0: I'm i I'm already in this landscape. So you're in the outback. You've, you've
1: whisked me away. You're walking through a grove of fig trees. I can smell the figs. I can too. Fig Newton's folks. Those are good. I feel like that's another Trump moment, red, isn't it? Red velvet fig cake Newton's, and fig the fig best Newtons. best kind of f- he was cakes the best cake. They were the best Newton's <clears throat> And we're doing our we're all th- like we're all three ah. sitting in here doing our okay signs like moving our hands so yeah we're really getting into this so you're walking through these fig trees and this yara ma yahihu drops out of the fig tree It suckers claps onto you and it starts draining your blood and you're on the verge of death and it opens its wide mouth and it swallows you whole and then it walks away and it goes to take a quick nap. That's actually part of the legend. It goes to take a quick nap and well, when it wakes yeah, I mean, up. It, it vomits you up. Oh, and you're you're still alive, but Whoa. you have a little bit of a glow to you, and you're a little red, I'm sparkly. You're sparkly. You're like you're like a you're like an oh. inflamed version of Edward Cullen. <laughs> but you're alive. I look like Steve Bannon uh, after little, after yeah. the shellfish. Yeah, not as swollen. <laughs> 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 not, not as swollen Can you um, do? I don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. topical reference of the day <laughs> again they're a hundred years from now like what the <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, is this did, yeah. are they Why, who, who cares oh, about then. the <laughs> Steve Bannon <Bennett. laughs> Um, the, now Hubie
0: the director
1: <laughs> He there's wrote gonna a be bunch some, of like
0: 100 years
1: from now There's gonna be like Like a really famous Like really nice Like the the Pope is gonna be Like Steve Bannon And they're gonna Why are they making fun Of the Pope today <laughs> It's Pope um, Steve
0: Bannon <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, his that's his re-christening it's, it's Pope Steve Bannon I <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Um Wow, this this episode really went off the rails. Um, it was always going to. <laughs> I think all of our episodes go off the rails at some point. So that's basic. That's a down and dirty look at the the vampires from around the world, and they are quite yeah. different. I mean, they take on different features, different animals. They all suck blood um, of some kind, but that's about all they have really in common. Um, yeah. Just, well,
0: that and and again, I think that. The idea of of being transgressors against common good or common decency, right? Right. I, I keep leaning back on, like, what is the allegorical use of a vampire? And I think in all of these settings and all of these different stories, these predatory animals, you know, kind of exist as almost human, I would say, in most cases. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, like... The deep. L- l- yeah, <laughs> the deep. Which, <laughs> the vampire dog. Yeah, or, or like the chupacabra, right? Like... <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of creatures out there I that just are like saying just like chupacabra.
1: It's just such a good word. It's like salsa. It's like Yeah. It's like that old Seinfeld joke like what's the best condiment? Salsa. Salsa cuz it's fun to say. It's like, like chupacabra.
0: <laughs> yeah. Salsa just means sauce. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite things. Um, yeah, everybody's like uh, that. That confused me for a long time in Spain because I would get like you know spaghetti, and they'd say, "You want some salsa?" and I and I'd be so confused because I was like, like I "God no, that what did you?" Sounds terrible, like the worst kind of spaghetti. And so I I'd, I'd say no, or and then they would just give me dry noodles, and I'm like, "Okay, so something's not clicking here." And and that's when I had to realize, oh, salsa just means sauce. It's like to the rest of the world.
1: It's like, it's like a Dante version of like hell. <laughs> Do you want your pasta with with salsa or dry yeah. noodles?
0: It's it's like a, <laughs> the old D and D adage about like the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Like you know, <laughs> intelligence is knowing that uh, a, a tomato is a fruit, and then wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. <laughs> I feel like I feel like hell is just full of. fruit. Tomato-based fruit salad.
1: Hmm.
0: How insightful.
1: Hmm.
0: Yes. That's the
1: worst tangent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all this episode is. Is we have to tangents. get we have
1: to get our minutes in. I promised yeah. these people it'd be longer than thirty minutes. And oh yeah, yeah it looks like we're way over that mark. Wrapping um, it
0: back around though, right? I, no, I think that the the purpose for a lot of these stories allegorically is is in trying to help us figure out like how should we behave as human beings in a human
1: culture a human society right what's interesting to me too is this universality of the vilification of these demons because as you talked about like as as christianity took over countries and took over other things you know they they adapted um different myths and different ideas and incorporated them to oh. shift their own mythology yeah so, um, and I think it's certain a- beings became like in, in other mythologies, like, for example, became like saints, whereas others became demons. but this right. universality of this monster that preys on people it was never it was never right. revered. It's always been this is like the the one level of you cannot cross this line, like, yeah,
0: and I think that now, especially in the 21st century in this postmodern world where we're trying to reinterpret a lot of these myths for our own purposes, right? I feel like a lot of these figures are becoming, or, or, or at least coming back to become more prominent in certain circles because of the way that they transgress against what would be perceived heteronormativity, right? Or, or, or even just like the he- hegemonic, normativity that we see from like patriarchal sure. cultures or something yeah, yeah. like that. I think there's a reason for example, why Lilith um, is so uh, polarizing a figure for, you know, ancient Hebrews. Cause if you're a patriarchal society and you see a woman who is not reliant upon a man, right. That, that threatens your status quo that threatens your, your order. And so I think that Lilith has, Come to become more prominent in the 20th century and the 21st century as kind of this like symbol, this mythological symbol of.
1: The woman with agency, and to add to that point, Frazier was a really lucky guy. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, his his wife named Lilith. Like, oh man, when when Bebe Newirth would put her hair down, like, man, I mean, she was, was always gorgeous. Yeah, for sure, that was it. Okay, so we've we've gone into depth about the vampire and myth, um, the different kinds of vampires. So I want to finish up this episode by kind of painting the picture of Victorian London. Which is, like I said, where the novel takes place and where Bram Stoker grew up. I mean, he was Irish, but... And I think not only will that inform you listeners,
0: you Mm -hmm. know, as to why this book is kind of shaped the way it is, but I think understanding Victorian London or, or Victorian England and Victorian society can help us understand why Dracula fits in with so many of these transgressive figures allegorically you know, throughout history.
1: One of the points that I want to bring up on this is that if, you you know, Victorian London wouldn't look super much different than London today because by this point... A lot of those buildings are still there. A lot of those buildings are still there, but by this point, they were becoming industrialized. And this yeah. is when the Industrial Re- Revolution was happening. So we were getting the, not only just the buildings, but we were getting the factories in. the um, The classes... As economic classes, society classes were changing; they were shifting. Um, there was very little middle class. There was upper class, yeah. and there were the impoverished, and, and they had different the, lives.
0: Yeah, throughout the nineteenth century, especially, I think the 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 location, right, the physical space of London changes oh, yeah. pretty dramatically. And and with the Industrial Revolution, right, we have a we have a condensation, a, a collection of a whole bunch of people into these tightly packed urban spaces that, that create absolutely filthy. Oh yeah. But they create like very I, I think very literal uh depictions of of the separation of class. Oh right? yeah.
1: Like um, and to get a good example of this, I mean, read like I know Trevor's favorite is not Charles Dickens, but I happen to like Dickens. Um, especially for his examination of class in some of these novels, he does a great job of painting this picture yeah. of what the different classes kind of go through. But what's interesting to me too is that in that industrialization, one of the things I was reading is like they were saying like the River Thames was was filthy, like polluted with like the waste of runoff of like people's like throwing out the bathwater that kind of deal. Um, and it, but it encouraged engineers to build sewage systems to help run that off to get the oh, yeah. thames to be like a drink cuz it was their main source of like drinking water. Yeah. Um and so the it kind of it, we see that kind of arms race of industry kind of building like um yeah. like exponentially from from just nothing. So it brought the bad, you know, with the the separation of classes but it also brought that ingenuity that helped build things. Oh
0: sure. I, there's a there's a lot of literature I think especially at the end of the 19th century that really digs into, you know, a lot of the social change going on in London and a, a lot of the, the even the, the change in infrastructure, right? Right. There's a, like trapdoors for example. This is a, just a total aside, but trapdoors in a lot of horror fiction really come from, you know, the, the fear of trapdoors in London because those trapdoors just led directly into the sewers. Mm-hmm and And you had trap doors in in every house, basically, right that that led directly into the sewers of of London. Uh, so around there's... the
1: same time, also, trap doors were used in the Pacific Northwest since we brought that up mm-hmm. um, in the Shanghai tunnels of Portland to abduct men like got really drunk in bars. They would use these trap doors, send them down into the tunnels, abduct them, and force them to serve as slaves on ships. And well, I think
0: that, I think a lot of that, you know I, I don't know that
1: i mean people that has nothing london to do were, with
0: vampires but yeah i don't think london was like people in london were forced to no 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 fall no. through and no. become slaves that but, just reminded me of but like there slaves. is there is a, a genuine you know kind of preoccupation about like the refuse that was just you know cast away under the streets of london and resided there for a long time because the infrastructure couldn't support you know like like an actual sewage system. It was all being built around the same time that people are are literally, you know, throwing out their chamber pots on each other.
1: Victorian London also gave us, I would argue, probably the the most um current image or traditions of Christmas. Um we get a lot of our traditions from, but it's not from everybody in Victorian England because it was only the upper class.
0: Yeah. And you can thank uh Charles Dickens for revitalizing Christmas.
1: Thanks, Charles Dickens. Thank you, Dickens. You you scared the dickens out of us. Ah,
0: ah, 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 ah,
1: ah. Okay, all right then. Um, <laughs> no, but but the the poor didn't have the luxury of celebrating holidays, right? But the the upper class definitely did. So a lot of the traditions that come for like Christmas or the different holidays come from the upper class. Uh, look at the education of kids. I mean, like. Um, yeah. Like the upper class children were given nannies and they were given, you know, single tutors that could come into the home.
0: And the Victorian era is also an age, you know, as industrialization was happening, where we also see, you know, re- similar revolutions in education, like you're talking about, that, that lead to, you know, I think uh, a public who is becoming
1: more literate, uh, a little per- perhaps bit, yeah. not
0: as widely literate. Which well, they they was.
1: eventually mandated that all kids do have to go to school. That's where one of the earliest mandates came in. It was like in the 1870s. Mm. They said something about you know that, you know all kids are required to go to school, but even then, you could have kids like in the the more impoverished schools, you could have kids from five to sixteen, yeah. and or maybe not that old because by then I think they were working, but like five to twelve, and they're all learning the same thing every day, right. There, It's not like, okay, you guys are this age, you're going to learn this, or this is the subject. It's like the teacher taught them the same exact thing in this one yeah. big classroom. So But what was, what's was interesting about that, too, is like your teachers weren't like university-trained teachers. They learned on the job. It's like they, they mm-hmm. apprenticed under older teachers, and then yeah. they would be like, okay, now you're ready to go teach a class. And so they had no formal training themselves. Yeah. So it was very much the blind. So while yeah. they did become a little bit more literate, it was almost like the blind leading the blind a little bit.
0: Sure. But I think that on, on the whole, you know, one of the trends that we see through the 19th century is uh, in a public who is becoming more educated. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's a, a trend over the whole century. So you have a public who is becoming more educated. You have a society that is becoming more compact in a lot of ways. You do have a deeper stratification, I think, of... Uh, class, but I also think that you're seeing a lot more people transition from the super poor into, you know, a state of, of more wealth or at least relative more wealth. Right. Right. And you also see uh, like politically speaking a lot more, I would say kind of conservative moral values, right? Like this, this reserved, um, moral politeness.
1: What's that joke in and <laughs> um and Dracula Dead and loving it with Mel Brooks's film, where it's like Steven Weber is talking to like um Mina and she's played by Amy Yazbek, remember? And she's like trying to seduce him, and he's like, Mina. It's Steven Weber. I mean, he's an American actor, but he's like at this, He's like, he's like, Mina, I'm British. And she's got like that low cut, like Victorian dress, and it really like heaves up her breasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, so are these, and like hits <laughs> <up> her breasts. <laughs> that's but that that's the joke is funny because they're like prudish. Like they're that's right. that that
0: almost And that's Victorian Victorian England, yeah, right? Yeah. Is is kind of known for being the most or or at least one of the most prudish uh Eras of British rule,
1: yeah, yeah, so it was I think it would be recognizable to our readers today, um and a lot of especially our American readers, like if you're our listeners, not readers, you're not reading us. um if uh, if especially if you're like familiar with the evangelical background, um I think yeah. you would recognize a lot of Victorian London. I think you'd probably feel at home there, but um, Mormons, especially. Mormons, yeah. Maybe not the the Church of Latter Day Saints.
0: I mean, I, I like.
1: What about Scientologists? Politically speaking, no. Scientologists have. T- they're. I mean, Tom Cruise has been mostly yeah. naked in a lot of movies. I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't made a Victorian movie yet. But um, hasn't he? He probably he was in He was in the Anne Rice movie. Oh yeah, he was, wasn't he? He totally dressed up. He was Lestat. That. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be dissing my boy Cruz. Let me just jump on a couch and talk about how great he is. That's an old reference. That's like an old Oprah that, reference.
0: I mean, I know what it is, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I
1: think you're but right. But I think, I think, I think there, what's interesting there's, too.
0: There's a lot of resonance, I think, with the very conservative. I think the growth,
1: yeah, but right. I think too, like the growth of the industrial industrial nation or industrialization of England also led to, it really spurred on the growth of like scientific knowledge. Um, and scientific belief. I know that they had a bit of of backlash around this time or or backpedaling, um, to this like spiritualism, this age of spiritualism that happened around the same time, Mm -hmm. but scientific knowledge was exponentially growing as well too. Um, and And I think that ties in with the industrialization. I think all of these, all of these trends, right. Kind of condense
0: into the last decade of the century
1: It should be important to note, though, that scientific knowledge and scientific reasoning didn't start with Victorian London. It started, I was listening to a podcast on this, um, towards the Black Plague, because in the Black Plague, um, priests were trying to tell people, you know, the reason people are dying is because you've angered God, and they started moving away from this belief of pissing God off to realizing, hey, maybe there's something physically wrong with us, and so... Health and medicine actually grew out of the Black Plague, and it was actually exponentially growing through the Victorian era. In Europe, especially. Yeah, Yeah, in Europe,
0: especially. Medicine in Europe in the 19th century was was growing at an exponential rate. Oh, yeah. Not true of, of medicine in the United States, which really did not revolutionize all that much until... I mean, the early 20th century.
1: Now, cars would have still been a new thing. There was nothing like radio. There was nothing like... um, I mean, there were no... I don't think there were any cars in Victorian London. Right. Cars were... uh, They might have started developing certain cars in certain countries. Um, Like, I think... I don't remember when the car first came about, but it was like late 1800s, Uh, early 1900s.
0: Very, very late 19th century. Yeah.
1: So, um, but we did have like the steam engine. The locomotion. Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, and you had your, still your horse-drawn carriages. Um, so, so that's kind of the scene and the stage of Dracula and of Bram Stoker's life, where yeah. we'll pick up in the next in our series, we'll start giving you an overview of Bram Stoker's life and talking about who he was, how he was influenced, um, how biographical Dracula can, almost autobiographical Dracula can be. Um, There's some some evidence of this. Um, I mean, to the point of Bram Stoker's father was named Abraham and the father figure like the hero father figure in the novel is Abraham Van Helsing. I mean, that's not an accident. Um, So I think we'll pick up with Bram Stoker's life in the second episode. Yeah. Um, And talk about the novel itself. And talk a little bit about the novel itself as we get into this. And
0: and remember these themes as we talk about them now, because they do play a very crucial role in the development of the novel and really the the novel's allegorical
1: purpose. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so thank you everybody for listening to this long and drawn out. It was long. I told him it was going to be long, didn't I? It was super long. I mean, I told him it was, it was going to be so. Still some good bits. Still some good bits. Um, hopefully it was really, really informative. We want to appreciate all of you for listening very seriously. I know we make jokes about scaring off listeners, but we really do appreciate you listening. Every appreci- single, every single one
0: that comes by that, yeah. that listens to us. I mean, we really cannot express our gratitude enough for sharing your time with us. Yeah. And, uh, and visiting and writing and, and being a part of this community. I think it's really awesome I think how, so. how supported we feel and just how interactive so many of you listeners have been with us.
1: Yeah. We want to thank our producers at Wayne Howard Studios. Um, you might have gotten to hear a little bit of Curtis today, uh, which is what we're striving for. Um, get that laugh track get in. Get that laugh track in. We're we're trying to make him laugh. You know, we don't want to be so dry. Bring in our best material. With our best material the, and the worst Trump impression, I think. I don't know, Trump does a pretty still bad our Trump best impression. Material. <laughs> um and our are both our thought provoking and well planned and stumbled into puns. We we just try to deliver. We we want a well rounded podcast for you guys. Um so we've uh we're still in the process i think um by the time this airs we might even have like the the short story anthology ready or about to be coming out working on on commissioning that cover speaking of bram stoker Slayhouse will be at stoker con for 2022 we're very excited i've already bought the the dealer table so that's right just a few months away by the time you hear this yep. Yeah. um We've, uh, check out our titles, check out our website, check out our Patreon, check website us out. Website is
0: slayhouse.com. Slayhouse.com. We've got com. a Patreon, we've got a Buy Me A Coffee. Yep. You can find us on Twitter, at Slayhouse litbits, and also at House Slay. Yep, for the S-L-E-Y. publishing S-L-E-Y. S-L-E-Y. You can find us on TikTok whenever we update TikTok.
1: <laughs> God, I'm so terrible about TikTok. I,
0: it's, it's a generational thing for it
1: sure. It is, it is. I'm going to... I'm gonna put myself in like old man makeup and just go on TikTok and bitch about TikTok. That should be our I feel like that's that. our bit. That's our, our I schtick. think that's our shtick. Yeah. Um, I think we're on Instagram too, but who knows? If I you don't, put pictures. you just put pictures up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't get this Instagram stuff either. Um, we're all over the place, guys. So we hope you continue to check us out. We hope that you enjoy this series. I hope we didn't drone on too much on this first part. But we're going to really get into, um, like I said, Bram Stoker's life, then Vlad, Dracula's life, and and the book and the novel that came out of all of this and how it's you know impacted the entire world. And yeah. I just can't wait to keep diving into this series. So.
0: Until then, keep your garlic wreaths on the front of your door.
1: Keep your blood-baked bread on your porch.
0: Don't allow anyone you don't know into your house.
1: Hang roses around your doors, and wear a crucifix at all times. I don't think we ever discussed roses. We'll we'll get to it. And Harps and Kroger have a sale now, so that if you need to stock up on steaks, ha <laughs> ha 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 ha. Then, then wrong kind of steak. But I'm um, yeah right. Um, <laughs> that's, that's our, our bad, I think we need to like insert like a, a sound bite instead of me just doing it vocally, like, but we need to, actually. I
0: really think we just need to work on scripting our closing so that it doesn't drone on for five minutes. That's what we really <laughs> we don't need want to you do. to
1: go. No. Well, I was raised in the country, so I'm used to like, like as a Southerner, like, you're trying to leave and like you just keep talking to people and this is the this is the
0: (laughs) this is our marvel after
1: credits you're you're like slowly backing to the car it's like no but you know you're still talking You're like waving at
0: each other that midwestern southern hospitality
1: (laughs) have a good day folks keep safe